0: ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the modern folk podcast it is i ty and today i'm hanging out in new orleans with the radiant the ever powerful (laughs) melissa lee hello
1: hello modern
0: folk they make good friends i'm just starting to figure it out and don't lose yourself to loneliness because modern folk are all around. Melissa Lee is the co-founder and CEO of the Green Program, which is an experiential learning program, one that I have been a part of for a while now. I had the pleasure of going to Iceland on this program and uh, learned about renewable energy and yeah. Uh, Melissa, why are we in New Orleans?
2: Hi, we are in New Orleans This because of a story that came from a few years back now, yeah. and our whole idea was bringing together our community of Green Program alumni to experience and see climate change firsthand, um, but a little bit closer to home and in our own backyard. So New Orleans, we know, has a history of being victim to so many storms and hurricanes and climate change disasters but on top of that it's such a strong city of resilience strong city with culture and food and cocktails and Mm -hmm. beautiful stories and history with such a diverse history as well so what better place to be able to bring a group of brilliant minds together absolutely yeah
0: absolutely I've been waiting to do this trip for over a year now yes it got postponed because of the pandemic
2: yes we made Um, it happen but we're here we did it yes
0: (laughs) and it was an amazing time we did a lot yeah tell me tell me tell
2: me your highlights i want to hear your highlights
0: uh so many good memories some highlights are seeing the levee system and um learning about katrina and the whole disaster that that was uh also yesterday we went kayaking in a swamp yes we did and that was amazing i had the time of my life um we saw some gators
2: we saw gators
0: we kind of got stuck got at one point we got so
2: stuck let's not we don't have to that. talk about that no we have to talk about it we guys we got so stuck in the middle of a swamp which we thought had water mm-hmm. and we quickly found out it was very <laughs> much more swamp than water and mud so we were trudging through that, that was I was though. told that,
0: that we wouldn't fun. get out of the kayak yeah me too and um unfortunately we had to uh
2: for the record I did not get out yeah. Of the yeah <laughs> yeah
0: I did and I was knee-deep at one point in mud <laughs> yes <laughs> but it was an experience and I was thrilled to be out there and uh yeah
2: it was a perfect day for it though
0: Oh, it Like was weather-wise,
2: beautiful. we had the breeze and the sunshine. It was good, like seventy-five degrees. Perfect. It was Perfect amazing. Perfect day on the bayou.
0: Yep. Uh, also, New Orleans is known for their food, yes. and the mix of all these cultures come together in delicious foods. And I am thrilled: gumbo, jambalaya, <laughs> uh, boudin. Yes. Uh, We're well fed. Yeah, crawling. Uh, all these good stuff. What's a beignets? beignets. Uh, what's your favorite top, top three foods you've had so far?
2: Mm. So, the gumbo that we had at Stanley's, I've never had gumbo like that. It was super unique. Yep. And the reason why it was unique that we learned is that they actually cook the roux a little bit further, so it's a lot darker. And it has a whole different taste to it than what other. Um, gumbo places could be making or different different chefs are making too so that was super unique for me it Absolutely. also like resembled a little bit of food that we have in like Asian cuisine which mm-hmm. I really appreciated too so it like had a little bit of familiarity of like sense of home um, so that's one yesterday speaking of like fusion We had a Vietnamese-style crawfish. The crawfish. How good was that? It had like crawfish with the lemongrass and some Cajun. Mm, Yes. It was perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've eaten pounds of crawfish on this trip. (laughs) At this point, yeah. (laughs) The last two nights, I've eaten a pile of crawfish. And I don't regret it.
2: Piles of crawfish. very
0: happy about that. Yeah. Uh, Let's go back to that Stanley gumbo. Yes. Because that was something.
2: Yeah, tell me your experience.
0: Um, I was also surprised with the consistency. Uh, I guess um, we don't have gumbo in Nebraska, mm. not like that. And it was a lot darker and more like brothy yeah. than I was expecting, and it was delicious. <laughs> I could eat that every day. Yeah,
2: that's right, that's right. And then Butch, our our local guide. Shout here. out to Butch. Shout out Butch, the man, the man of the week. Um, Butch taught us about mixing in potato salad which I'd came like, from irish culture yes irish culture and it's like a nice little filler with the rice and you get a mix of potato salad with the with the gumbo sauce so good it was
0: delicious um the holy trinity
2: oh do you remember it
0: oh yeah you do okay. so uh what's it in french Mirepoix. the okay well in french cooking cooking there's three staple veggies which is celery carrots and onions, onions yes but in down in the bayou, you can't raise carrots easily, so they substitute uh, peppers with yes. carrots. So down here, the Trinity is onions, peppers, and uh, celery. And we learned in uh, we also did this like cooking course, um, and we learned about the Holy Trinity, which or the Pope is added to it, which is garlic. And that's so funny that wasn't mentioned, but yeah, that's the Holy Trinity, which includes the Pope. And that's then there's like, I don't know, all these other things you can add. To I
2: mean, it, garlic is, yes, you can't go wrong. Gods of garlic.
0: You can't go wrong. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the food's incredible. Yeah.
2: We, you have experienced quite a bit of jazz as well.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, let's talk about it.
2: Let's talk about it. So the first place we went to was Mahoney's and that's, no, not Mahoney's, Maloney's. I, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think
0: it's, it's mahogany.
2: Mahogany. <laughs> we got All there. The we got thing. there. We got there.
0: Uh That was incredible.
2: That's one of the oldest jazz bars in the country.
0: Yeah, that style of Classic. jazz is my favorite. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there's so so much rich history here. Uh, with music mm-hmm. this is the birthplace of jazz yes and um yeah just happy to experience it That's we got jason! jason in the house We're jason recording. you want to say hi
3: hey
2: <laughs> come sit jason you, you and me can share a mic thank you for my crutches
3: <laughs> no problem. you said you didn't need them and then you said you're recording
0: yeah but we can take this <laughs> no, out or, or we can video. keep it
3: <laughs> you said um then I had to crawl, like, like climb
2: up all these steps. And I'm like, well, then it sounds like you need them. Yeah, I did. I was holding on to the railings, but we may think. Are you are back,
0: people. Jason? Did you
3: drop off the yes. band? Yes. Success, Successfully uh, drop off.
2: Oh, perfect. I think. Hopefully. Come sit, and we'll That's share perfect. a mic.
3: Yeah.
0: We're talking about music.
2: The music. jazz. We're going through our jazz experience oh. here. I don't know
0: how much I
2: can we're just regurgitating what we've
0: learned. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to fact check all <laughs> yeah. of this. This is not historical. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of history here. Every place you go, all the buildings and streets are named after, like, famous, or not famous, but, like, folks who contributed to this beautiful music of jazz. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Also, Bourbon Street is something.
2: It's. A whole experience. What did you do on Bourbon Street? Or what drinks were your favorite drinks, we should say?
0: Well, all the daiquiris.
2: <laughs> all the brain freezes.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. I had a voodoo daiquiri last night again. Yeah. So, uh. You have to that, tell people what voodoo daiquiri is. That was my daiquiri. roadie.
1: <laughs>
0: so, we've been doing roadies yeah. when we, uh, you can, you know, just drink openly here. Yeah. Uh, so you get a drink, you walk down the street, you listen to the bars. You find one you like, and then you can go in if, if you want. Uh, so, yeah, last night it was daiquiris and, and beers and stuff. Um, but, yeah, the problem with daiquiris here are they're, like, this icy drink, and you get to a bar that you like, and you can't bring it in, so you have to slam it. <laughs> and so then you're just there with a brain freeze <laughs> and, like, crying in front of the security guard. And uh, it's a, it's it's good. It goes away pretty quick, but... I haven't had so many brain freezes in my life. You're just hopping
2: <laughs> too fast.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hop
2: around too quickly. Uh, to
0: quick. We're talking about booze now.
2: That's right.
0: Did you try the hurricane yet? Yeah. yeah, I did. Yep. Did you try the hand grenade? No.
2: Hand grenade. What's a hand grenade? Yeah.
0: What is a hand grenade? You have
2: to talk it's into Green. The
3: it's bright neon, neon green. I know that much. What goes into it is yeah. Questionable. <laughs> yeah, probably multiple. Things, uh, Multiple liquors that are, aren't disclosed. Um, I do remember it going down pretty... It's been a while since I've had a hand grenade. I remember it going down pretty smoothly. And then, and then it hits you.
0: And then you don't remember <laughs> And then you don't remember
3: it. And then the next morning.
0: <laughs> That's funny. We saw Renee just walking on the street the other day. And he told us to go to Pat Mm O'Brien's. And um, he said they have great drinks, but don't get the hurricane um, because it'll just mess you up or something. He said that he had one once and (laughs) never again. No,
2: that's scary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is scary when Renee says that. But other than that, we got some other famous cocktails here the Sazerac. Mm. Um, Jason, you seem to know the history of that. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, right next to where we are, in a place called the Roosevelt Hotel, uh, absinthe is a big thing here in New Orleans, and so um, somebody created a, a cocktail that was that used uh, that uses absinthe, and um, the name of the bar in the hotel is the Sazerac Room, and so the cocktail Sazerac came out of that invention. Mm, beautiful.
0: Uh, is absinthe is that like French, or why is that a thing down here?
3: I don't know if it's French. I
0: don't know. Okay, well, other than that, a sazerac is rye whiskey and simple syrup and a absinthe. thing of absinthe and a thing of lemon and London, uh,
3: like a lemon t- uh,
0: peel twist and mm-hmm. maybe some bitters.
2: No, you're right. The name Sazerac can be traced to vineyards in this corner of southwest France, dating mm-hmm. back to the 1630s.
0: Alright. We're learning.
2: Okay, wait. Let's talk about... This goes into what you do too, Ty, and, and climate. Here, a unique combination of soil, a microclimate, mm. and even the soft, milky light that bathes the region. The French call this... Mm, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, mm, Insert. Yeah, insert. T E R R O I R. Combined to make the most famous brandy in the world, cognac.
0: Mm. Oh. Okay. We're learning. Mm.
2: Huh. It is French.
0: Are there other notable cocktails here?
2: Jason's favorite. We should talk about
3: that one. Mm.
0: Oh, yeah, Perfect. your Gin Fizz. The Gin
3: Fizz. The Ramos Gin Fizz. It.
0: A complex, A complex challenging. Recipe. <laughs> Cocktail to make.
3: <laughs> yes. So the with egg white shaken ing- for twelve minutes. The ingredients yep. include yeah. Yep. Twelve to fifteen minutes is the recommended shaking time. It's after yeah. gin, lemon, lime, cream, simple syrup, orange blossom water, egg white, and soda water. Shaken for twelve to fifteen minutes. For a real thing, yeah. It's delicious. It's my favorite.
2: That's on the menu later tonight.
0: Yep. Also, oysters are on and the menu. Oysters.
2: Yeah, so going back to your food list, yeah. we'll do that room for room number three. Oysters, the grilled oysters, that'll probably be top three.
0: You had oysters already?
2: No, it will be. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> in, I got nervous. <laughs>
0: I've been here for five days and haven't had fresh oysters other than in gumbo. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So today is the day.
0: I can't
3: wait.
2: And so how do they make it here? They make it at char Grills? A number yeah, of different
3: ways. Yeah, so and then fresh. Yeah, um, and there's a New Orleans style of like of of raw oyster oyster with I, I believe it involves a saltine and hot sauce. Mm,
2: of course. Yeah,
3: it's got to have hot sauce. Yeah. So there's a, there's a particular style mm. of raw oyster here. Yeah. They also make them char grilled, like char broiled. So, so, like in the shell, involving Ooh. cheese and the oyster and the grill. And it is so good and some kind of amazing seasoning.
0: Yeah. Uh, Butch gave me some recs for different oysters. There's one in the French Quarters where they don't have refrigerators or something where like they have to get them in mm-hmm. and sell them that day. So you know that they're fresh. Mm -hmm.
2: That's great. We should find that spot. Yep. Also, Jason and I were talking about it earlier, but do you know what they do? Do you know what about 20 restaurants do with the shells afterwards? Oh,
0: I know. I have no idea. So
2: Jason sent me this article, and it was super interesting, and they basically, there's about 20 restaurants that donate their shells to, I forget, it's like a coastal coalition. I should find the name, but it's like one of the, Louisiana Coastal Coalition, that might be the name, Louisiana Coastal Coalition, or New Orleans Coastal Coalition. And they basically collect the shells from all the oysters to help rebuild the coastline of New Orleans, because as we learned, Mm -hmm. it keeps... We're losing land in New Orleans here. Um, And the IPCC report that Renee told us about is that New Orleans won't be on the map in the next 300 years, right. but we're predicting for it to be sooner than that.
3: The Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana. Yes. C-R-C-L.
2: Yes, that.
3: Huh.
2: Yeah, so they're trying to just restore it, keep it there, keep, keep it from becoming a swamp again.
0: Yeah. Uh, yesterday on our kayak tour, they were talking about using plastic or bottles bottles like glass bottles? bottles okay that makes recycle sense and to make sand, sand. Mm-hmm. do you do you know enough to speak about where we kayaked they that was the oh, the, ninth,
2: the lower Ninth ward mm-hmm.
0: they had dredged that out to create a canal and yeah. in doing so it introduced brackish water
2: yep it flooded it with the the salt water uh-huh. which killed off all the natural wildlife yeah
0: the cypress trees. Yeah, that
2: was eerie, that you just yeah. saw the stumps of the trees that used to be there.
0: Right, just sticking out of the water. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, and the Lower Ninth Ward I think is really important to acknowledge and address, too, when it comes to, like, climate justice, because, I mean, we learned that all of New Orleans has been affected, but in different cities around the world, too, you can see... You know, the history of redlining or the history of where low income communities are placed, whether it's closest to pollution, plants, um, or maybe even shorelines, you know, and they're the most susceptible to flooding and climate change impacts right off the bat. So, yeah. you know, we saw that and you can see the difference between the lower ninth and, you know, where we are right now, for example.
3: Yeah. Renee talked about it. Uh, on our Katrina tour where, like, real estate value and real estate prices um, are directly related to how high ground you are in New Orleans. And so if you don't have the resources, the means, to afford, um, you know, the uh, rents or the property um, prices that are going up and up in New Orleans, um, then you don't have much of an option other than to live in a really um, uh, susceptible yeah. area of the city that is more prone to flooding and more prone to problems. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the areas that we were at were under 16 feet of water at at one point, which is yeah. yeah. devastating.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, One of the most like eye-opening parts of this weekend to me was we were on, I think, the jazz tour. And we were walking across the street and Butch literally stopped. He was like, "Oh, do you see the the yep. boat?
0: A big, big ass barge. Big ass
2: barge coming down. And you, the boat was above us. Like, yeah, that's yeah. how we're just not. i never. I don't think I've ever been underground level. And it, like, yeah, that's that was wild. that was kind of cool to see, but <sighs> yeah. scary. Yes, it's, it's like so a building scary. going by. Yeah, I mean, it's it's literally like a fishbowl. So it's yeah, that's scary."
0: Yeah. Jason, we got some beer here if you want. Thank you. We got <laughs> some Nola, Hopatulas. Um,
3: Thank you. Yeah. Hop-a-toolas.
0: We're just hanging out on a rooftop <laughs> next to a pool.
3: Next to a
2: pool. It's a beautiful day out. It's probably like 80 degrees, so it's a perfect pool day. You bet. <laughs> Ty, what was it like for you to reconnect with alumni?
0: Oh, it was great. Um, yeah, I knew a few folks here, um, mostly just virtually, so uh, I've talked to Amy Reed several times, but I never met her in person, Uh, so it was really cool to, you know, meet up in person. Uh, Even you, Melissa, like, I feel like we've been friends for a while, but we haven't (laughs) hung out before, and now we're doing that. Uh, I will say all the alumni of Green Program are incredible humans and everyone has a interesting story and background yeah. and it's like i don't know the conversations were just fun wow. worth, worth it yeah i
2: love that There's
0: so much knowledge yeah uh, know.
1: yeah green, that's right
2: green program alumni change the world
0: absolutely
2: yes
0: um do we want to talk more about like katrina and the impact yeah. That was really eye-opening for me. Yeah, like, tell, I, knew, I, I knew it was a big deal, and I had seen pictures, but I didn't realize the magnitude, the area that was affected, and then how long it took to get to everyone. And I guess I didn't realize that Katrina hit, and then the next day is when the levees breached. And people didn't realize or what was going on. And uh, I think people just started noticing that water was coming up. And then before you knew it, over a day, there was 10 to 20 feet of water. People the thought they
3: dodged the hurricane. Yeah. Because after the storm came through, it was still okay. You know, yeah. I, there was storm damage, of course. But, you know, it wasn't. Anything out of the average, I guess, for you know, major storm coming through, and uh, and so, um, I think that affected how the media coverage was. I think that affected uh, the response times for you know, getting help and understanding the impact, um, and what was happening to the levees with the storm surge and all the, yeah. you know, all the water coming through.
0: Absolutely. Um, wasn't it mentioned that? Half the population didn't come back around there. I think like 40% of people come back or they, there's a big loss of population just because a lot of people lost everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: makes sense. And like, I was really curious about the incentives to come back Uh and I was really shocked that even along the coast, it was essentially ground zero of where the levees broke is all now businesses and yacht clubs and it's almost as if it never happened and people are just rebuilding very quickly but Renee brought up a really interesting point that like culturally Louisiana is home and people just yeah. stay here and have a loyalty to it and that's where their families are from too so it makes sense as well, it makes sense as well. Yep. Yeah. As an engineer, I'm curious yeah. about your thoughts because that, the levees broke from an engineering flaw.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So
2: how, what, what goes through your mind Right. With that?
0: Well, first off, I didn't know exactly what the levees were. Mm. Um, and it's mostly just a mound of soil and then a cement <sighs> barrier.
2: Yeah. Um, and the walls aren't even that high.
0: No. They're one really? mark... High. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Six and, like and a half feet. Six
2: foot two, four, three. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, he's four, like six, six, six. five. Right? Yeah, okay. 6 five. Like, let's guy. say six five. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it was poor construction, and uh, I don't know exactly where the f- fault. If it was like faulty, if they were trying to save money or or what, but um, they failed by water eroding away the soil. And then there's just like T-bar that goes down, and then once one side of the soil was eroded away, there's nothing holding the wall up, so it just fell over. And like we went and saw the levees and saw the portions of the walls that had fallen.
2: So was it like a domino effect? Like they're all connected in some way, or it was just pieces of it that
0: I think it was just all pieces.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow. Um seeing that house was really yeah. like I don't know. Tell them about that. Yeah, so there's a house that was uh, still in its sort of preserved state, or you could see the waterline of the house, and uh, basically the entire house was underwater, and yeah, devastating. It was just, like
2: tossed around, like, it, like there was a, one window you could look through that was of a piano, mm-hmm. and the piano was tipped on its side with they were like, it was so eerie. There were like doll clothing inside the piano. And then the table, coffee tables were like flipped over. There was a giant teddy bear. Do you remember that? Like yeah. all brown and like wet, Yeah. moldy. That was really eerie too. Yeah,
0: everybody got a hazmat suit when they came back to the city mm. because of the black mold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was amazed with the, or I am amazed with the pumping system so it's actively being pumped water uh, away, and that those buildings were just huge pumping stations, which
1: mm.
0: were incredible. Yeah. Like the whole city is in a basin. So once the water came in, like, it had nowhere to go. So it's still there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's still like not even enough. Yeah. Because they're so limited with the pumping stations and how much capacity it right. can hold.
0: Yeah. Gravity is always prevailing.
2: Yeah. Unless we're in space.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No basements in New Orleans. Nope. Yeah, that too. No burials underground. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Do you know what they call a basement in New Orleans? A pool. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That's what we were told.
2: Yeah, that is what we were
0: told. <laughs> uh, they did say that there is basements in, like, one of the... Armories or some building, and it's like really expensive to build it because you have to like build walls to keep water out, mm. and then you build a basement. Wow. And they have elevators that are large enough to take armored vehicles down. So wow. like, uh, something with the treasury, they can take these vehicles down into the basement.
2: Wouldn't you think they wouldn't do that though if we need that those kind of vehicles? What's that? From like a security standpoint.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know what the motive is. It seems Like, do we need dangerous. those
2: vehicles for security?
0: Oh, I think they are transporting, like, money. The armored yeah. vehicles.
2: That's what I would feel like. Why would you put those underground if you need them? That and is it's a good be point. Mo- like, it's the most at-risk. The most susceptible to yeah. the water.
0: That's a good point. I didn't think about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, does not make sense.
0: I think there's parking under Harris Casino.
2: Oh. Uh, yeah. I guess that'll do it Justifi- just that justifies it more area
0: <laughs>
2: parking garage
0: yeah I don't know Jason what was some of your highlights of the trip
3: honestly you know I had an opportunity to see almost the entire group um, experience New Orleans for the first time yeah and with everybody's experience, you know, in each of your fields, the lens on sustainability and the mm-hmm. mission of the green program and, um, you know, and everyone's general, uh, sort of passions and interests. Um, just, just, um, being able to, to go through each of the days and to have conversations with everybody and to see people's reactions and hear everyone's questions and, um, you know, and, and, and. You know all of that was like such a highlight for me I've been here a lot uh, I've experienced you know quite a bit in New Orleans I love this city um, so that aspect of it was really amazing and uh, because of the program I was also able to experience a lot of New Orleans um, not just uh, geographically but also like the types of things we were doing for the first time myself so uh, I also you know had a really cool experience uh on my own um you know because uh butch had put together this program and i ha- i i was able to enjoy it myself just as a human right absolutely or, uh, yeah.
0: i also feel like new orleans is a place that i could keep coming back to mm-hmm. yeah. it's a very experienced base like you have to be there to experience the music you have to be there to experience the food mm-hmm. and uh I'd just keep coming back if I could. Oh, I love
2: that. (laughs) We'll do another reunion here. Yeah, let's go.
0: (laughs) Are you thinking about doing a program? Yeah. Here?
2: Yeah, we we would love to open up a program for students. And our university partners have a domestic location, and I think this tells a good story for that. So there's a lot to build off of here.
0: Let's talk about some other cities where we have programs. Where you have programs?
2: Okay or um, other countries. Should we talk about Iceland? Because you've been I would Iceland. love to talk about Iceland. So I think you should share what's going on in Iceland, um, comparing the contrast and your takeaways.
0: Perfect. So yeah, my background's in engineering um, and I was actually studying energy science at the time. And so I was, I knew about Iceland and I wanted to take a trip there. And then I saw that there was courses in energy science in Iceland. So I was like, this is perfect. I need to do this Uh, and it did not like it blew my mind it it was perfect so um, yeah the green program is an experience experiential based program so we learned uh, but we also got to go hiking camping and see all these energy generation plants so uh, yeah some of my favorite stuff was seeing like the geothermal power plant Outside of Reykjavik.
2: Yep. That's the largest geothermal plant in the
0: country. Yeah. And that's amazing. All of the hot water that they use after it goes through their turbines gets pumped to Reykjavik and that's the city's hot water and it pumps under all their roads. Yep. So So there's no icy roads in the winter. Yes. (laughs) So
2: it melts all the... Brilliant, right?
0: It is brilliant. Yes. I just remember uh, at the university, so Reykjavik University, it was like hot in the room. And the person who is teaching class just is like just open the window.
2: I know. So that's a that's a really actually really great case study actually because Iceland has one of the highest energy uses per capita as one of the most renewable and green. Yeah. I'm putting this in air quotes right. city. So what we talk about a lot in Iceland is that renewable doesn't necessarily mean sustainable.
0: Sure. Yeah. I it does seem wasteful to do it that way, but the way I take it is the power plant is generating all this, or it's making hot water, and that, you can't stop that. So, Mm -hmm. like, from what they explain, there's basically not really a thermostat. It's just, like, you have heat. Hot, yeah. And to make it cooler, you open a window. And the, the water there is hot.
2: Yes, it's hot. But I think it's a cultural thing. Okay. Because... If you were to ask any of our professors what their energy bill is, they don't know because it's that cheap because it's so abundant. I see. So that's okay. that's great um, from like a like accessibility standpoint to energy. but the concern and issue comes with long term sustainability because what Iceland is doing now where they don't need more energy production like, at least of the energy production in Iceland goes to heavy industry. So aluminum smelters, like some of the most polluting industries um, that are completely contaminating our air, but it's powered by renewables. But the issue is that we're continuing to break down land and wildlife to produce more renewable energy so that Iceland can, let's say, sell to to Europe and like pump pipes under the ocean to get to Europe, so at what point do we stop, right? Because it just still comes down to consumption. Um, Because we can continue, like all, okay, our partners in Iceland, they are all environmentalists and they're protesting renewable energy at this point. Just to give you a concept of where that is in, in. It's very like futuristic, I think, for us. Because right now we're still focused on like, get more solar, get more renewables in the States but in Iceland they don't want any more building for
0: renewables well it makes sense and uh, so Iceland is mostly hydro that's how they get most of their power Uh, there is a lot of geothermal but most of the electricity comes from hydro and you have to divert water Mm -hmm. in order to do hydro and so I think a lot of folks there uh, don't want to like destroy the environment to generate electricity exactly um So yeah, more industry coming in would just mean that they would have to change the land to produce more power.
2: Yes, exactly. And do you remember Gulfoss? Yeah. That giant, it's like one of the largest waterfalls in Europe. More water
0: than Niagara.
2: Yeah, more water than Niagara. And this um, young woman, I forget when this was in history timeline, but she literally protested and chained herself to the waterfall because they wanted to turn it into hydroelectric, and she wanted to preserve it. So till this day, it's been protected by the environmental um, communities and also the government, too. So that's one example, because it would have completely diverted and changed so much about that waterfall, too. Yeah.
0: It's an interesting dichotomy, and it's something that challenges me uh, a lot, especially living in Nebraska. Um, A lot of people are opposed to wind power which like, I'm all for it because I think it's cool and I, I like wind turbines and yeah. I think it's better than burning mm-hmm. fuel. But I understand where they're coming from. It's changing the land and they want to preserve the way that the land looks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's challenging to balance that.
2: Yeah. What do you think it takes uh, for Nebraska to be more renewable or sustainable?
0: Yeah, um, I like solar power, and um, I do like wind as well. I think the biggest thing is figuring out our grid system and battery technology.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, Yeah, Nebraska has a lot of sun, a lot of land, and we could do it all solar. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it's just like storing that power, because obviously the sun doesn't shine at night. So how do we generate power or how do we get our electricity at night?
2: Well, you have solar in your house, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you doing it?
0: Yeah, so I'm connected to the grid. In Nebraska, it's net metered. So that means all the power that I generate during the day, I get credit for and can use at night. And it's one for one, which is really awesome. That is awesome. Uh, Now, at the end of the month, I get like a really small fraction of it. So Nebraska is publicly owned power. So they really don't incentivize, like, you can't make money off of, like, generating your own electricity. And actually, I sort of had a little dispute with the power company Uh, when I proposed my solar panels. They were asking why it was so big. And I had done just, like, rough math um, that I figured that I needed 15 kilowatts. Uh, and I was pretty close. That's my electricity bill every month. is um, It just breaks under. Mm. So actually, this month it was a dollar.
1: Wow! Which
0: it's not bad. Yeah. No, nope, not at all. Um, but it is interesting that they didn't want me to produce enough power, or like they didn't. They really didn't want me to produce more power. And I do get it. I will say that. If everybody had solar panels, that would be not good. We would disrupt the whole grid unless we had batteries. Yeah,
2: that's why batteries we need. Yeah. Because we need more solar, but we need yeah. batteries within.
0: So, in a way, I'm kind of taking advantage of that. Um, I'm treating the grid as my battery. Right. So, it's a 100% efficient battery. So, yeah. And actually, <laughs> me being gone for a week um, is really sweet because I'm going to come back with a bunch of credit and, I mean, it incentivizes me to use power, which isn't great. Right. But like, I can do stuff now. Yeah. And, yeah. So cool. So maybe I'll. Run so you the- don't
2: have like a Tesla wall pack or anything. No, I don't. Have you thought about like getting a truck and powering that and keeping it? Uh with yeah. Extra storage.
0: Yeah, that would that's a great idea, and I think that's like a key in our future is. Yeah. Uh, Everyone will have an electric vehicle, and then that'll be the house's battery, and that'll help condition the grid for everyone. They'll all be connected. Um, Yeah, Uh, I would love to have an electric vehicle. It's a little impractical for some of the things that I do, but the technology is getting there.
2: You're a farmer, though. Ford has electric now. Rivian has
0: electric electric electric
2: now. Yeah, exactly. That's where it's... Yeah i'm i'm super impressed by the electric trucks and
0: i need an electric van
2: oh yeah you do you, the volkswagen has like the hippie ones now oh, the cool oh, hippie oh, oh. ones <laughs> all
0: right i'm sold
2: <laughs> yeah well bringing that back to new orleans though yeah um i think it was the lower ninth where we were visiting and there was a ton of solar Mm-hmm. yeah so i think also i mean of course there's a Costs and financial barrier to anything electric vehicle, but as a part of that plan, like if the city had incentives yeah. for electrical electric vehicles and to be able to help use that as a battery yeah. and storage grid, that could be a game changer. As long as their houses stay up, because that ha- was a whole other issue with the construction. Yeah. There.
0: Yeah, I would really benefit from a battery. In Nebraska, because we experience power outages somewhat regularly uh, with high winds and tornadoes, storms. Right. Um, I've had my electricity go off a few times at my place, and if it's during the day, I can divert it straight from my solar panels. Mm. Um, but if it's at night, then I'm out of luck.
2: Interesting, yeah. Oh, if yeah, if I had a battery, I I can,
0: I'd be all right. Right. Uh, at my folks' place, so they lose power quite a bit. Hmm. And um, do you know how they like, generate power?
1: How?
0: So they live on a farm yeah. and they get the tractor out. Yeah. And it's called a PTO, okay. which is like a thing in the back of the tractor that just spins and they hook it up to a generator. Mm. And that powers all of the electricity on the farm.
2: Hmm. So it's like a gasoline powered tractor. Yep. And it, oh wow. So they use the motor to yep. get oh, it. Because
0: like there are some things that are very critical, pumping water right. for critters, yeah. and uh, yeah, things if we need to, I don't know, take a shower, well, some of that stuff you can do uh, without electricity, but yeah, um, yeah. so that's how they generate power if we, Interesting. If we need it. I love that, mm-hmm.
2: very cool.
3: I think 15, uh, 15 years in Philly, I can't remember ever losing power, maybe yeah. for ah. 10 minutes once, yeah. but it, you know, it, it, it's as reliable as I could ever imagine, because I, I, you know, I grew up in a suburb in mm-hmm. New York, um, north of New York City, and losing power was a thing, you know, the winds were a little bit higher than normal, and we lose power for a couple hours, right. um, mm. you know, it just happened pretty often it still does in my hometown and then you know being in a city being in that kind of grid power under the ground and I see I cannot remember ever losing power in right. all of the years I've lived in Philadelphia. Yeah, but you're right though like yeah.
2: just being in a city even if you do lose power, it's the first one to come back.
3: Right. Cuz they, and have they to reroute get- and yeah
2: yeah because they have to get like the hospitals and the schools right. and like all the infrastructure yeah. around us mm-hmm. so it's a it's a priority and Philly is known as like a meds and eds city yeah. mm-hmm. so sure it, it's super it's a super priority to get at least the hospitals back up and running right. so we right. have advantage there for that for
3: sure makes sense
2: Yeah.
0: yeah that's interesting I always am amazed with like electricity literally like to keep the lights on a power plant has to be going at this exact moment And right now, unfortunately, that means that they're burning something. That's right. So you have to burn something to get energy uh, in our current setup.
3: One of the things that, not surprised me, but one of the things that was really eye-opening in New Orleans when we were um, talking about Katrina, because of the devastation with the water and all of the issues with, um, you know, the, uh, the levees and with being on low ground and pumping stations and all of that. um, You know, when the next biggest hurricane hit last year, Ida, Ida, uh, the levees held, the city didn't flood. However, their grid failed, Mm -hmm. spectacularly failed. And, you know, they had um, businesses here in New Orleans that were out of commission for almost a month uh, because they couldn't get their power back. They had people... They, they, it was an unlivable city after Ida. Mm-hmm. You couldn't live here in New Orleans um, after a little while without power. And some sections of the city came back relatively quickly, and some other sections, even very close to one another, took weeks. So... Right. Yeah. yeah. They have a one-way street from you know the, the power plant, and when they can't get that back... And and for some reason they don't have a intact grid that they can reroute the power. Yep. It's so a for a major city it's it's, yeah. it's it's actually pretty shocking.
0: It's kind of all cobbled together. Yeah. <laughs> the electrical grid. Yeah. And there's that power station that was a backup that they had been funding mm-hmm. that unfortunately failed or that it wasn't ready. They had been selling Doesn't... power outside of the city that's even right. though they had been funding it to be a backup.
3: It was wow. that's right. So that's, so it wasn't ab- it was it was still producing power yet it was providing that power to others somewhere else.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. So what does it take to condition power more? Batteries, electric cars, you both, know.
2: all of it. Yeah. I think we need we need as many chefs in the kitchen for it. Yeah. In this case, for sustainability.
0: Yeah, we need engineers to develop technology.
2: Mm-hmm. And non engineers to come up with ways Absolutely. that we can be applying that technology in different. in every single sector. Every single sector. So, everything from. We've had everyone from art history to aerospace engineers on the programs coming up with solutions too. So, yeah. there's a space for everybody in sustainability and for uh, sure. actually we need it.
0: Yeah, it'll take everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always joke around that we need to use capitalism to defeat capitalism mm-hmm. or we just we literally need to make technology good technology cheaper
2: yes so there's this concept called compassionate capitalism is what you're oh, talking cool. about and it's that. it's essentially like the b court model the benefit court model triple bottom line model where your you know, companies don't just exist to measure success based on profit, they measure success based on people and planet as well as profit. Oh, I love that. And that way you also know that a lot of profit that is made, there isn't this like evil connotation to it because a lot of the profits go back to supporting people and planet at the end of the day and organizations that continue to support people and planet too. So compassionate capitalism, that's, that's a, I think a movement that's happening now and we just haven't had a term for it yet because mm-hmm. we you're you're right like we need it to we i don't know i'm i'm not like anti it but there's a direction of like an adjustment and a future of what that could look like
0: yeah yeah um this is sort of on topic but um this kind of popped in my head in lincoln nebraska there's this power station that is close to a landfill mm-hmm. and it's called the Terry Bundy Station. Um, and the landfill is this anaerobic digester so it's all covered and they collect all the methane from it Mm -hmm. and then they divert the methane into the peaking plant um so they burn the methane off of this landfill yeah and uh i've been fortunate enough to tour that station and i thought that that was a neat way it's it's not perfect but it's in the right direction like like this volatile gas would just be escaping but now we're Using it for power,
2: yeah, it's super contested for sure. Like, even the pollution that comes out of those plants are have been a concern for local communities because, of course, like there's an environmental justice element of that. Like, it's always going to be unfortunately right now in communities that are underrepresented, yeah, BIPOC communities, and there are pollution levels that are still coming out of those plants. Um, because you're still burning like trash and plastic and like everything that comes yeah. in between. So there are those, but I, I toured one in Hawaii and cool. they're, um, what they said is that it's like, uh, compliant, like EPA compliant. Cause there's certain filters that are put in place as well. So that's good to know at least is that they're like considering it, but even if it's compliant doesn't mean it's healthy. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that um, we put those plants in locations that affect folks that aren't already in a great opportunity area. So.
2: Right. Exactly. So, but I I like that. I like. I appreciate the technology as it is. But of Mm -hmm. course, there's like repercussions with like everything else too to consider.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What are we gonna do about all this trash? Exactly. It's a lot of trash that we make, Americans specifically, and the world. We
2: gotta turn into something, and energy's one of them.
0: Yeah, I wish we just didn't make so much trash.
2: Yeah, well we were talking about it earlier, we were passing by this like super full garbage can of plastic. (laughs) And, you know, Ty and I had this moment where we were just like, we just need, like we're gonna consistently keep having garbage as long as we exist on this planet as a species. So we need garbage that will just decompose and go back into the earth and then we can use those materials to just continue doing that too yeah. right
0: absolutely i'll tell you a little bit more about like my living situation and yes. what i'm doing on the farm and all that so uh i got this place now three years ago and one of my goals was to be sustainable or to see what it would take for me myself to be sustainable and i'm not quite there yet um um getting there or I'm I'm working on it it's a journey yeah for sure Uh, one of the biggest challenges that I faced and still face is trash and I actually didn't have trash service for like two years and uh, so I had this like pile in my garage of trash and like it started out pretty bad and then I realized that like I started sourcing things that didn't make trash and it was kind of a neat experience like it, it was shitty I mean it stunk but like uh, <laughs> literally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was like an opportunity for me to see like what I produce yeah. um, and so like, like a garden there's no trash mm-hmm. there's no plastic wrappers on my peppers and that's awesome so um, I try to go to places where I can get like bring your own bags yeah. or your own containers unfortunately there's nothing close to me like Lincoln and Omaha there's options but Mm -hmm. other than that uh it's not great um yeah so it's kind of a culture we need a culture change
2: yes yes Mm -hmm. yeah I think the more reliable we can all be on ourselves for food like our whole mindset changes of how we source our food where it comes from understanding where it comes from it's a whole educational piece there but I love what you just said about like visually being able to see your own trash, that is terrifying.
0: Yeah. And it's so real. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't proud about it. No, of course. I didn't tell people to go in my garage. (laughs) Hey, check out my (laughs)
2: trash collection. (laughs) Look at my (laughs) Unless you turn it into art, which is what we saw at Jam Nola. And that chandelier was incredible. Made out of Sprite and Mountain Dew bottles. (laughs) Right. That was super cool. Yeah. I wouldn't have known that until she told us.
0: Right. Jam Nola was sweet. That whole district was dope. Yes. With all the murals Uh and graffiti. I really appreciate like the graffiti culture that uh if you like have this beautiful artwork on a building, people don't tag it. Yeah, they respect Mm -hmm. it. Um but like all the other walls were tagged. Yeah. And like they just keep like going over other people's tags, which is like okay. But once they have if you have a beautiful piece of art, uh, it's respected. Yeah. I think that's sweet. Yeah, I think every wall should have a mural.
2: Exactly, and that's what I think. Like that, Butch had this idea. Did you see that fence by the apartment building? Yeah, right. And it was all tagged, like, not good tag. And then the graffiti, like, just to have beautiful graffiti, and then you know it would just protect it and people would respect it and not tag it like you were saying but then Alyssa had a great idea and her friend is actually one of her good friends is the mural one of the mural artists that did the pigeon and the squirrel in Philly oh nice so he's a mural artist but he does a lot of like local fauna, flora and fauna so that people you know like can see it on the wall and like that's what used to be here kind of thing Mm So she brought up the idea of actually doing local flora and fauna for that fence as oh, well. So that's that it amazing. just like blended in too. Yeah. So yeah, that could be awesome.
0: Uh, have you seen the Banksy here?
2: We have a Banksy in Philly. Yeah?
0: Mm-hmm. Which where? There's, I don't, it, There's yeah. like 14 places here. Sure, yeah. I'm sure I have. I have to. I know it's, it's iconic. I can like see it. It's yeah. the girl with the umbrella. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. But I haven't seen it yet. Right. I haven't seeked it
2: out. Yeah. That could be a, its own scavenger hunt. Yeah. Yeah. No bank. Yeah. This, it's, it's, again, so many layers to this, this whole, I almost said country because it feels like its own country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this whole city and the history behind it too. There's so much storytelling, what Butch was telling us in the graffiti. It was like indigenous knowledge too.
0: Absolutely. Love it. So what are some other places that, the green program is okay so touring we,
2: so we now after covid we're relaunching all of our programs again so we're back in peru this summer that program's focused on water resource management and sustainability um we have nepal i'll be back there in may and that's focused on um, microgrid systems for rural development japan we go to fukushima that's focused on disaster mitigation yeah. and nuclear to renewable transitions um, we actually suit up in that program and go into the disaster zone. that's so cool and into the nuclear facilities mm. as well so super unique experience what is it like
0: way. in a Ooh. nuclear power plant
2: well first of all we should talk about the disaster zone okay so actually let me let me start off by saying like fukushima in general is gorgeous so like what you picture as fukushima or what a lot of people picture is just like the yellow tape and hazmat zoots and all this, but it's not like that. Fukushima is like farm and rural, and it's beautiful, it's open, there's mountains, like you can, it's beautiful. It's not what I originally pictured and what a lot of our students picture. Mm-hmm. But then you go into the disaster zone, so that's like a no-go zone basically, or um, people just can't live anymore because of the radiation. And uh, we go in with the bus, so we have shelter there. We also tell everybody you have to wear like long sleeve clothing um for radiation yeah for radiation it adds another like layer of just protection for long clothing and then the bus is a whole other level of radiation protection as well wow. so there's and we all have a Geiger counter when we go in and our own personal and then there's like one for the group as well so we're just like comparing notes um and we had to have special permission with the government to like get in basically so we are able to organize those and honestly it's, it's really it's similar to what we've seen here in New Orleans in regards to just, like, the aftermath. Yeah. But Fukushima also, because it's been so untouched and people aren't coming back, it's just, like, like just overgrown with nature, like, trees going, throwing through buildings mm. and, wow. like, all these plants coming back up. Um, it's very eerie. It reminds – it's basically like that house that we saw.
1: Yeah.
2: So in that zone it's like that. But I will say that I just talked to our partners now and they said it's so different since COVID and so many people are coming back now and they're rebuilding. So what we're going to mm. focus on now is more the resiliency and recovery similar to what we've been doing here because you know part of Fukushima and what they're trying to do as like almost a rebrand is let people know that it's like an it's okay, it's safe, you can come kind of thing and it is a beautiful place to visit, so I, I encourage people to go see it too. Um, outside of Fukushima, we just launched in Belize, so that's um, on sustainable action for coastal communities and ocean conservation. So we work with that's more of like a service learning type program. So we work with three different nonprofit organizations, one that's connected with the Nature Conservancy as well, um, and we're doing a lot of like do- data collection and document- documenting for the reef. And the, the Belize Barrier Reef as well. So it's the largest, or second largest barrier reef in the world. Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so an aspect of the Green Program is community service and Yeah, back.
2: not all of the um, programs will have it, but where it makes sense. Like, we're definitely sure. not a volunteerism type organization. I have my own like, gripes with yeah, that. But sure. um, where it makes sense, if the community seeks it, seeks it out, that's something that we'll consider doing.
0: Was it in Nepal that you were doing the solar? Yeah, yeah. That's cool.
2: Yeah, that <sighs> Nepal is interesting too because like what you were saying with like um, brownouts. Uh huh. So after the earthquake in Nepal in 2015, uh, I think about 30 or 40 percent of the energy infrastructure just completely collapsed. So there were areas in Nepal that. Did not have electricity up to like 10 hours a day. Hmm. And, you know, that obviously brings up a lot of issues and concerns of just like developing a nation yeah. <laughs> and setting a nation back. Um, so, one of the things for sustainable development from the UN is very focused on like developing sustainably with no one left behind. So that part specifically is what we focus on in Nepal, with no one left behind because we go to and work with rural communities and indigenous communities that one, a lot of them have never seen electricity before, um, but two, what we do is like implement solar in a way that is also tied to another intersection of sustainable development. So for example, like we installed, um, A solar grid that pumps water about like 900 meters up a mountain so that they had like water that they can actually use and Mm -hmm. farm and they that community was completely lacking access to water the last program we did was tied to food security and helped them power an agro processing mill so that's something that we do there too but what's unique is that we also tie that to um, a micro enterprise for the local community too So there's someone that runs it as a
0: business as well. Very cool. Uh, Pumping water up from solar is an awesome idea. Um, And that's like a way of using solar because it'll just continuously pump. And then you have like the water is at a higher elevation. So then you have water pressure. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, that in itself is like a battery.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had
0: like thought about creative ways of like storing energy for myself. And I thought about like, I'm not going to do this, but I thought about building a water tower And then just pumping water and then when I need electricity, use the the head, the water pressure to generate electricity. Or that can be my pressure from my house.
2: Ty, we're gonna do a green program
0: Nebraska
2: and that'll be the capstone project.
0: Y'all can do community work (laughs) at my house help me build things. Yes. (laughs)
2: We'll we'll support the whole sustainable living mission.
0: Y'all can uh, like Get the weeds out of my garden? Yeah,
2: that too. Why not? Hands on. <laughs> Hands on.
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh, what do you think about nuclear?
2: Oh, good question. As a
0: power? Um, as an energy source?
2: Uh, in short, I think nuclear is a good bridge energy just based on the resource and like how reliable it could be as an energy resource. But with that said, like obviously when nuclear goes bad it goes way 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 too bad yeah and people die as a result of it so i think it comes down to management i think it comes down to risk assessment yeah um and hopefully we don't rely have to rely on something like that in the future so i I think it comes with its risks that should not be taken lightly but i understand it's it's reason in the infrastructure yeah for sure how do you feel about it
0: um i think it's necessary i think it's a a good way of generating power right now. I hope that it's not what we rely on forever, but at the same time, it's way better than fossil fuels. Yeah. And way more people have died or been affected by coal than nuclear. Mm-hmm. You just hear nuclear and like the disasters are terrible, yeah. um, but we can mitigate that. We mm-hmm. know ways to do better. <laughs> Uh, Unfortunately, most of those plants were built in, like, the 50s, and they, like, the in-case wasn't a factor, so we don't know how to shut them off, which is scary. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we can maybe do better.
2: One of our professors in Japan is, um, he was Obama's right-hand man for everything nuclear. So he's in charge of the decommissioning of Fukushima nuclear, and then, or the nuclear power plants, And then he also built the dome of Chernobyl, so he's been like on the ground seeing the impacts. And if if he if anyone has perspective on nuclear, it's him, because he understands the science, he understands the feasibility, but he also has seen the worst. And it's yeah, he he has really good stories.
0: So nuclear is. Fusion, uh-huh. and we could potentially be doing fission, fission. Yeah. which um, is solar mm. in a way, or that's what our sun is. And so, if you mm. think about this, the sun is this nuclear power yes. plant yeah. that is always there. Always there. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's only there half the day. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's how right. do we get it for the other half?
2: If we can connect time zones across the world and have Ooh. twenty-four, can we do that through Wi-Fi? Should we call Stark or what's what's the Stark Star, Star- Starlink? <laughs> Tony Stark.
0: <laughs> yeah, save us, Tony Stark.
2: We can connect all of the re- all of the twenty-four hours of the sun. Is that possible?
0: Well, I mean, with a big grid and with batteries, kind of doing that, but
2: like connecting all the grids together, though.
0: That would like be amazing. i never thought about that.
2: Just leave up the ideas to me. You can make it happen, but okay. I can come up with the
0: ideas. <laughs> Honestly, though, that seems incredible and science fiction, but like yeah. you could do it.
2: The thing about science fiction is that it just happens later on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, in a way, like yeah, Star Trek predicted like iPads. Yeah,
2: it's on a mean.
0: Oh, that's cool. I'm going to write that one down.
2: Yeah, we'll remember it on this podcast when we listen back.
0: Uh, what other forms of power generation have, have y'all considered? I'm asking you very technical questions. I uh, don't okay, know. honestly? I honestly hamster. Hamster? <laughs> you said yeah, the wheel? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's the most sustainable. Right. Yeah, why not? Why not? No, honestly, I'm at the point... <laughs> I've been to so many power plants over the past 13 years that I'm just like, we need to consume less. And I know it's easier said than done, but I'm just like, we're going to run into the same issue with oil and gas later on, it's just going to be called something else. Or we're going to run into the same issue as oil and gas with renewables, it's just going to be called something else later on. And the next generation's going to have to figure that out, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's like every generation leaves some sort of a mess while we think we're solving something. Um, but it's interesting to see what problems or challenges it comes For sure. up with too. So I, my solution is always consumption. So when it comes to power, like why not not use the power, light a candle, have, you know, like let's go back to our roots of what we didn't need.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. Uh, I'm a big proponent of doing more with less. Mm-hmm. So efficiency. And we could be way more efficient with a lot of our processes. Uh, Like manufacturing isn't the most efficient or we use a lot of power for manufacturing um, And a lot of energy and resources for like agriculture Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I don't have the answers, but it's we could do better That's right, that's right Were there other programs that you haven't spoke upon? you have any future programs you're thinking about yes yeah, so if you can talk about i touched
2: it. on this a little bit last night but you know what we realize is that alumni like you are doing incredible things after the green program um and they're in sustainability positions that are actually making a difference for sure but let's say a recent graduate that goes on the green program or even like a second year or third year student that goes on the program it's going to take at least another 5 to 10 years before they become a decision maker in that industry or the field. So while we continue to support students, um, what we want to do is actually start opening programs and training for professionals and executives. I love that. So we need people who can make a decision right now, understand the importance and the urgency and like the climate emergency that we're in, and be able to actually implement it into their companies and private sector, academia governmental sector, you name it. So it's very much this new like, multi-generational approach that we want to take as well. So that's the idea. And the more we can make it a closed loop system where corporate and corporations are actually helping provide scholarships for diverse and underserved students is important to us. And also creating a talent pipeline for these organizations too. So you know, how do we keep Sustaining the workforce and the sustainability workforce of the future too. That's great. More of that to come.
0: That's great Just doing this and connecting people together is amazing. That's probably helps more than you realize
1: Mm. Yeah, I think just the
0: conversations that I've had with with people uh, with my peers uh, has given me some ideas and uh, I'm excited to Dive into them.
2: Yay. I love it. I love it. That makes me so happy.
0: Uh, a good idea i got on this trip that i'm definitely going to steal <laughs> so dance floors that when you dance
2: piezoelectric
0: well okay
2: That's piezoelectric
0: but I, so sort of along that lines but like they generate power when you like dance on them yeah. i was thinking like uh, hydraulic system so like <laughs> you like wouldn't realize that you're like moving it but like you pumping on the floor yeah. would be moving like fluid and then i don't know generating power with that And I think it'd be cool if, like, the lights were generated by the dance floor, so, like, you moving would set the mood.
2: Wait, so UCF, one of my friends, Chris Castro, he is from, he went to school at UCF, that's where I met him. He started, like, sustainability everything in Florida, and now he works in the, the sustainability for the city. And they actually ran a festival every year. I'm forgetting what it's called. So this is a thing? It is is a thing. And it's literally, <laughs> they put down piezoelectric flooring okay, that powers sweet. the DJ and powers the oh, music. So okay. you have to dance to keep the party going. Okay. So you should look into that because that'll be the future of all your weddings. I love it. <laughs> and all your <laughs> DJ DJ weddings. I love it.
0: Yeah. Sweet. How do I go to these events?
2: I'll, I'll send you more links. I had to find, it. it's Florida, yeah.
0: That's amazing. You <laughs> yeah. have to keep dancing. Yes. DJ's like, well, we need more power. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Dance. Dance. That's great. Dance. And I think there's, like, solar tied to it, too. That's cool. So, yeah, it's, it's like a whole sustainability festival.
0: That's so cool. So this is completely off topic. Last night, we were talking in our group, and it was really late, and I think we are all sleepy and... <laughs> Amy-Ree was talking about eating in the shower.
2: Eating the
0: shower? Eating in the shower. Oh, in
2: the shower.
0: (laughs) And she was talking about, like, eating fruit. Mm. So, like, oranges. And I'm like, okay, that's good. Uh, She didn't (laughs) say that in the beginning. And Chris and I just went with it. (laughs) And I was, like, laugh-crying at one point. Because we were, like, we thought she was, like, eating sandwiches in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like cereal
2: you're picturing her eating like a steak in the shower <laughs> like
0: under the water yeah. so- soggy bread
2: that's great
0: so I'm interested to hear what your favorite, what a good foodie in the, in the shower would be and what a bad food
2: <laughs> such a good question I, don't know.
3: I mean I can start yeah, I can. I've never eaten a thing I'm gonna do it I haven't in, never, the, shower, I've in the, shower, the shower, never had shower any beers. desire to oh, eat okay, anything shower. in the shower
0: Shower you know had a shower
3: beer? I just... Jason. I, <laughs> <laughs> take one of these home. Go shower. I like beer really cold. Okay. And so as soon as the uh, beer hits the warmth of the bathroom, it like, it really ruins, it. ruins the beer. <laughs> so, you know, I take a quick shower so I can get to the beer sooner. But the beer connected with the shower, any kind of food... In the sh- it just, it just they don't it's I, it's, it's a set it's, uh, maybe that's not the most maybe that's the it's not a fun answer. Um, <laughs> so what's what's? The I can't even story? imagine gum. I mean I can't even. Ima- <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs>
2: gum. Okay, if it's what's like that? a bath situation. Oh yeah. That's different. That makes uh, sense. Uh, yeah, With yeah. a little tray and a candle and a, and a champagne glass and then your your dish, so that could be anything. I mean, we had great fried chicken and biscuits today. I would do that not, in a bath. That would not be a shower food. That's <laughs> not a shower food. I have to have the tray set up. Biscuits in the, bath. the shower. Biscuits in the shower. Oh. Biscuits.
1: Shower
0: biscuits. <laughs> oh yeah. Amyree is so fun. We were giving her the shit for that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, Amyree, okay, no and everything else isn't. Well, I, I think that's okay. Like like a peach or something that's sloppy, <laughs> and so you're there. <laughs> you, you can just justify
3: <laughs> the best. Rinse off. Right there's right. some oh, food that, that you feel like you need a shower after you eat the food. Like po' So why not just
0: there you go get a head start? Po' uh, uh, oh, Yeah. What's that called? Muffalada. Muffalada.
1: Muffalada. Yeah, too.
0: Yeah, cause you gotta get in position. Right? Then you've got
3: food potentially like <laughs> yeah that's, on the floor of the shower. That's another issue. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jason stressed.
3: I'm. I'm stressed. Grossed out. Oh,
0: I just think it's you so. You have funny. to clean out the shower,
3: and then you have to go back and take a shower. Again. I know,
2: and it's not even just <laughs> the food in the drain. Like for me, there'd be like hair and food in the drain. Oh. <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, not,
0: not fun. We'll stick with the fruit. Okay, final answer. <laughs> and my chicken and
2: waffles. <laughs> yeah.
0: What do you do with, with the orange hair. peel? What do you do with it? That's a good point. It's <laughs> a great point. <laughs> Leave it in the drain. <laughs> um, so y'all folks aren't from Nebraska. Did you have any questions about so the life, questions. lifestyle of Nebraskans, and or like what I'm doing?
3: What do you when you travel? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you miss the most about the things that you experience when you're traveling and when you travel what do you when you're not home what do you miss the most about Nebraska
0: that's a great question that is a really good question mm-hmm. um, I got a few answers for this so Nebraska is on top of the Ogallala Aquifer
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is I think the largest underwater aquifer in the world really um, and the water quality is amazing. It's mm. like probably the best water in the world and all you have to do is drill a hole and then you have this amazing, wonderful water. And I, I, I love the taste of it. And when I travel, I notice that cities have weird tasting water. Mm. And maybe that's a thing for everyone, but uh, New Orleans isn't bad actually. It was I agree. Pretty, you don't taste any chemicals. Yeah. at least
3: yeah. considering the swamp. Better than <laughs> I expected. It <laughs>
2: Does not taste like swamp water.
0: So, not uh, that I miss I
2: had swamp water.
0: Yeah, I miss the water from Nebraska. Um, and then I'll say wherever I travel, the food is oftentimes more flavorful mm-hmm. than Nebraska. So that's that's nice. Um, I enjoy traveling, just going anywhere and seeing how people do things and looking at how things are made Mm. Mm -hmm. so specifically like electrical grids everybody does it slightly different Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to like take notes in that um so i'm interested in just like how cities manage people and it's like not like a touristy thing or like people don't really think about that but it's interesting everything's a little bit different but usually it's always about the same Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: We figured out for the, a lot of the, part, most, uh, maybe not most, for a lot, in a lot of cases, I think what works, but there's so much of what doesn't still. And like, what we were talking about here in New Orleans, too, is just like, there can be as many ideas as possible. It's the willpower to actually make it happen, or like, government willpower to put the dollar where it matters.
0: There seems to be sort of a theme in New Orleans, and I'm not discrediting how things are done here, but there's some corners that are cut on construction, and I don't know exactly where that stems from. I'm sure that's everywhere, but like the Hard Rock Cafe, for example, that fell from shitty engineering and like cheap materials or
3: improper use of materials. The houses in the Lower Ninth Ward. Yeah. After. yeah. But yeah. even,
2: did you see that? Like, when we drove by, there were just, like, sin- like single cinder blocks yep. holding up, like, different posts. I'm mm-hmm. not an engineer, but it doesn't On the legit. houses? Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, like, four feet of just cinder, like, one cinder block yeah. piled on top of each other. That didn't seem good.
0: No, especially if it floods or, or the if, if they ever... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Renee would not be happy. Oh.
2: <laughs> a lot of people would not be <laughs> a happy. A lot of those
0: houses weren't bolted down, or like, they were just sitting on this foundation.
3: One of the, one of the things that I've noticed and seem to be confirmed by most local New Orleanians is that there seem to be a lot of rules about things that don't need rules. Like, or that most other places don't have rules around. Like, you know, there's a right way to yeah. prepare a dish, right, and the wrong way. There's a right way, you know, to um, uh, you know uh, order something at a restaurant in a wrong way, right? So there's there's a lot of uh, cultural rules. There's a lot of rules um, that seem to kind of structure the culture in New Orleans and. The you know to New Orleans credit the culture is incredibly strong here right so I I can see why. However, so but for most other places there aren't those types of rules. And for most other places where there are rules, like I don't know um, construction, you know guidelines and very strict, rules. <laughs> right? Incredibly strict rules. There just doesn't seem to be rules. Mm-hmm. There seems to be. You know, uh, you know, bars are open 24 hours, you know, in mm-hmm. New Orleans. What does that do to a culture that you're trying to protect when you've got Bourbon Street and people coming and, you know, really just kind of using the heck out of the city and then mm-hmm. going home, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, there, there, there's there's that disconnect between the locals and the tourism environment in the city. Um, instead of them sort of working together, but yeah, it seems that here that things that you would figure should require some rules don't have that many rules, and things that you wouldn't imagine have rules um, have rules. So you know, when you're uh, uh, you know when, when when you're on a tour as a guest, for example, you you know you, you have to have some sort of physical indication that you are a guest on a tour you know, or else that's going to be regulated and it's very strict. Why? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they can, because they decided to, yeah. you know, put put limitations on, uh, you know, the industry that happens to be fueling the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And, you know, but, oh, you could build a house on stilts that seems to be, you know, uh, leaning, you know, at a 45 degree angle. You know, and... and uh, uh, you know, build thousands of houses that, you know, f- you find out later are um, improper materials and construction right. methods. So right. it doesn't, you know, th- that, that part of it to me um, is bizarre.
0: Yeah. Are yeah. there, uh, the musicians on the streets, do they have permits or like areas that they can perform in? Or is it like a more spoken, unspoken rule?
3: It's a good question. I, I don't believe they do. Um, if they do, I don't think them enforced. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's cool. I, I appreciate all the music on the streets. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: So yeah. Um, on Frenchman Street, there was, uh, b- before COVID at least, there was a um, brass band that was just um, a collection, a group of... Uh, just people from the neighborhood mm-hmm. nearby neighborhood that would just go out on the street corner um, and just start playing and they they gathered a whole crowd around them like it became so popular but people were filling the streets people were coming out of the clubs on Frenchman oh, Street onto the street to listen to this band playing on the street and they didn't they weren't a I guess a you know, uh, um, they weren't an established bands. They didn't have a venue. They, you know, they were just, they just, they just, it was essentially just a pickup, but they got, uh, a lot of problems from the neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, they were, you know, people were blocking traffic to listen to them. They were standing in front of a property that was abandoned. Mm -hmm. So the property owner, even though nobody was in there, um, gave them issues. They had issues with the clubs because people were coming out of the clubs and not spending money um, or tipping the bands. I'm sure they had problems with the other bands that were playing in the clubs because they were losing out on revenue. And so, you know, they, uh, uh, I, th- th- and so there's this, there's this issue and, and it was the, this on and off of, you know, the police in the area would, would sort of disperse them and, you um, you know, or or they would they would kind of block their way and not allow them to gather and play and then they would go somewhere else. Uh, and then COVID came, so like, you know, I, I don't I, I don't think they've come back ever since, but they made it really hard. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah.
0: There was a corner in Frenchman Street that they had a big brass band playing last night. Outside? Yeah. On the corner? Hundreds they're back? A like hundred people were there. That's oh, awesome wow. completely so, blocking the road. So, you couldn't even walk down the sidewalk. So th-
3: that's they're back. That's awesome. It's <laughs> that's good that's music. What awesome. awesome.
2: pandemic? Yeah,
3: and, and I think that's the thing is like you know, you know, the, in a place like New Orleans, um, uh, the things that they value uh, are really truly, you know, what they prioritize here is 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 actually different than what a lot of other. Mm-hmm. Um, cities where a lot of other Americans what a lot of people around the world prioritize um, protecting that culture at all costs and so sure. you know people th- th- that's what people care about right and maybe maybe they're not as interested in you know what happens to their you know sewage mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah, uh, infrastructure true. right um, or who, they just who deal who with it or they is, just <laughs> right like and well, until something it, goes wrong. Right. Until right. something yeah. goes. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. But like,
2: who's actually in, and I think that's part of the problem. It's right. Like, we don't take the time to like look down and talk, Oh, where does this go? Or yeah. you know, what yeah. happens afterwards? Or what happens if it floods? But yeah. I yeah, think yeah. New
3: Orleanians yeah. are are very comfortable living with a certain level of dysfunction because they get the benefit of living here in New Orleans and eating the food yeah. and. And and getting the music and the people and the everything they get, you know. So so there's I think more tolerance of uh, dysfunctional systems here that most other places wouldn't have, but they have an abundance of this other resource, which is just unbelievable. It's it's yeah. It's unlike any place that I've ever been.
2: Literally, the pros list might outweigh the cons list. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, perfectly said.
0: Uh, I love walking down the street and hearing the music from the club, like windows open, doors open, and also there's no cover charges, yep. oh. all, all these places. Yeah. So you walk down the street, you listen to it, if you vibe with it, mm-hmm. check go it ahead. out, yeah. and then just maybe go to a different club or wait for the next band. I, I really embrace that. Just go in, tip the band, yep. uh, buy a drink or two, and then that's your contribution that's beautiful and like not really any other places i've been to is that so embrace
3: yeah it's a special thing
0: it I really, really is
2: when are we come back whenever <laughs> this time next year let's do it
0: yeah yeah i'm here till tuesday
3: <laughs> one more day Sweet. I'm very that fortunate. That was so fun. Yeah, that was great. I'm very fortunate to have a business here.
0: Yeah. You're the, fortunate to be able to set all this up and connect it with people. And-
3: absolutely. I'm fortunate to have a business here. I'm fortunate to have a incredibly passionate and dedicated group of New Orleanians who love their city and who want to you know, embrace it and, and show it off and share it and um, who love it and who want to make it better and who want to, you know, connect people and making it meaningful for people to come to the city. Um, the hurdles and the red tape and the headaches that it took to get to this point where we can have a business mm-hmm. here was unlike anywhere else uh, where, you know, uh, uh, you know, any other city that we're operating, but it's worth it. Mm. So, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm very, you know, I, I can come here and I, um, I'm so fortunate to be able to have this resource of people who live here and who, um, are completely connected to, to the, the most wonderful things that are happening in New Orleans. It's so awesome.
2: Yeah. We're lucky to have you too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: absolutely it was
3: amazing it was, it was it was such a pleasure to host the green program um, you know this week and you know um the questions the engagement the you know the connection that everybody was making to the city um you know everyone's just you know attitude through mud and <laughs> <We love laughs> mud and slime, and slime and slime that ain't no problem <laughs> And all of it was amazing. So, you know, we... Uh, yeah, I feel like the whole
0: group really appreciated what you and Bush, yeah. like, brought to us and, like, shared for us. It was wonderful.
3: Thank you. It means a lot.
2: Yeah. More to come.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the beginning. That's right. Yeah.
0: That's right. Let's keep going. We're going to Miami next.
2: Oh yeah, should we just tour, do all the tours? Right. Do them all. Yeah, <laughs> all the reunions.
0: I mean, just keep coming back here. Yeah, or I'm that too. <laughs> we got a gumbo tour to gumbo hit. Gumbo tour. That's, right, that's right, that's right. That's right. Ty, thanks so much for having us on your podcast. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: Thank you. So fun. This is a big deal for me. It's a small deal for the world. No, no, no. We're gonna we're
2: we're all This is going to be live, a big deal for the world. That's right. <laughs> and we're here,
0: so that's wonderful.
3: All um, the best with the with the, with the podcast. This is, it's a great idea. It's yeah. a great concept.
2: And the farm, and yeah. the new job, yeah, and yeah. Everything. yes, so many good Thank things you. happening.
0: Um, before we leave, uh, Melissa, I'm just interested, like the impetus behind the green program, or like what what are your visions? Um, why did you start it, and where do you want to take it?
2: Yeah, sure. So. Thanks for asking. I I started the Green Program about almost 13 years ago now, and I was a 19-year-old undecided student who had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I did know that I wanted to work with people and um, help take care of the environment as much as I could. And when I went to school, my higher education experience was a little bit... uh, Frustrating for me because I didn't expect it to be like a lecture room of 300 people and Just somebody in the front just talking right and like in a lecture um, And I really didn't understand or see a clear path between Classroom to a career that makes a difference in the world and I shortly found out that a lot of my friends also felt the same way so essentially what we've done was create these short-term programs for our friends at the time who were engineers, environmental scientists, people who are five years nose deep in a textbook and expected to build our future energy infrastructure, bridges, roads, cities, solve our world's largest problems without any experience, Um, especially global experience too. Um, And as a first generation born um, Chinese American in the States, I had the privilege of growing up and traveling a lot back to Malaysia where my family's from. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize how much I learned through that and how much of a special, rich experience that is that so many other of my peers like didn't have before. So that's what we wanted to bring to the table of just these short-term programs. But eventually what we did, um, and they, they fit all over winter, spring, and summer break because we were students, that was the only time we could actually travel as well and take off from school. So that's how the short-term model came to be. But the accreditation model is what we really tied to it too that I think changed the game for international education and you know, putting more meaning behind all the things that you do learn while you travel and give literal credit and value to those experiences as well. So, so the goal for us, our mission is to educate and empower future sustainability leaders through experiential education, responsible travel and adventure. Um, what we really wanna be striving for, although our programs are short term, We really want long-term impact of helping employ the future workforce of sustainability leaders so that's where we're headed next Um, we're already doing it we're just going to continue doing it and in bigger capacities and new ways and new creative ways too so yeah
0: that's beautiful well you've definitely done that for me i can uh, attest to that you've given me an opportunity to experience learn and taste the world yes and I appreciate that So,
2: thank you for being a part of it
0: yeah thank you yes, you're let's amazing. get some oysters yes <laughs> oyster time alright <laughs> right. thank y'all
2: oh my gosh it was so fun
0: thanks Ty thank you for tuning in to the Modern Folk Podcast I'm currently walking the streets of the French Quarters in New Orleans and I'd like to share with you some street music I asked these performers permission to record and they are well tipped. Please enjoy the sound of a French Quarter Street